the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Our Lord and our God, Father, help us now. Uh, Father, we're not uh, exegeting a passage of your word. We are looking at a belief system um, and comparing it to your word, Father. Give us uh, wisdom, give us clarity of thought, discernment, Father. Give us humility that we would not be a people that boast of our right thinking and lack love, Father. Help us to grow in understanding, grow in compassion, uh, grow in love for the lost and for um, those under false teaching that we would see them needing to have a a true picture of Christ, Father. Um, Expand our understanding. uh, Help us to love the truth more, Father. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, yeah, just another word and way of uh, studying the, the cults that we've been doing now for these modules. It is important because, as Calvin said, the human heart is an idle factory um, that we can, we can suffer sometimes from learning about other errors and thinking, well, we, we just got it. We, we got it right. We got it figured out. Um, we don't think in terms like that, but we can kind of come to those conclusions where we almost look at uh, some, some of this t- their teachings is, is very... Odd. It's, it's very far out there, and we can look at that and say, "Ah, oh, you know, how that's so dumb. How can they not know these things are error?" But it is God's mercy on us that allows us to see truth and have His Spirit testify of the the truth of Scripture to us. So we want humility. We want to call out error with all boldness uh, and mark uh, false, aberrant teaching as heretical and um, wrong, false teaching. But we want to do it in humility, and we want to have love for those. Um, who may be deceived um, by uh, sharp-tongued teachers. So the background of the NAR, kind of interesting. It's, um, you know, we saw like the Jehovah's Witnesses came off of a Baptist preacher and some other, I think it was the Seventh-day Adventists, kind of broke away from Orthodox Christianity. It's a little different with uh, the NAR because it wasn't like a formal movement. It it was a term that was kind of... uh, given as, as they turned around and looked about what was kind of happening organically, um, they, they gave it the term, the New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, C. Peter Wagner, in fact, is the one that coined that term. Uh, he was a missionary to Bolivia for about 15 years, and though he just died in 2016, he was a missionary there from like the late 50s to the early 70s, so he had a very long life. Um, he came back from the mission field, as I mentioned, in the early 70s, and for 30 years, uh, he was a professor at, can you guess what seminary he was professor at? It's not synonymous with strict Orthodox teaching. Anybody? Fuller. Who said that? Correct. <laughs> Fuller. He uh, taught there for 30 years. Um, he, had, he, was, he became the professor of church growth at Fuller Theological Seminary, a position allowed him to have great influence uh, over a generation, or maybe a generation and a half, of, of ministry students, and spread his teaching for what is now formally called the NAR. And again, I mentioned to you, he is the one, uh, C. Peter Wagner, he's the first one that coined that term, New Apostolic Reformation. We'll kind of get into 
uh, what that means or what they say it means. Uh, as Kurt gave a preview for this Sunday School last week, I mentioned that it is new, but it's not apostolic and it's not a reformation. But doing a little bit of research, a lot of the critics that have come out of it said it's recycled old teaching from the 19th century, which means it's not even new. So it's not new, it's not apostolic, and it's not a reformation, but it's a new package, if you will. Um, A lot of the false teachings that have taken root in the church through the millennia are just repackaged false teachings and heresies from the first three centuries. Um, However, Wagner was the first man... Uh, to have major influence in the movement that he that he coined NAR, um, and he described um, the '90s, the 1990s, as the new wave or the second apostolic age. Uh, I find it quite interesting that all of these these false teachers that have come through the years always think that like there was the early church, right? And then nothing until they showed up, right? Whether it is 1800 years, like I'm here now, God can continue his plan. You see that theme? That's a theme, right? (laughs) That people um, see that. Uh, Anything so far? Questions, comments with anything at all? You guys heard of C. Peter Wagner before? Used to be all over, um, it's a God tube, I think it was back in the day. And uh, that one, it wasn't... um, it wasn't TBN. It was like an even more charismatic version of that that would catch sometimes, and he'd always be on there. Um, the 90s. Okay, in the 90s is when a lot of this began to gain popularity. Um, you can think of three main churches, although there's a lot more, but three main churches as being streams, the, the, the major streams that flowed into uh, the NAR they were all extremely influential churches uh, around the Western world. Um, the first one is the Toronto Blessing uh, at Vineyard Church, which now is called the Cat- Catch the Fire Toronto. Anybody want to guess where that church is? Toronto. Very good. Okay, you're paying attention. That was a test and some failed. <laughs> That's in Toronto, Canada. Um, Probably of the three, that's the one that you most likely are, is less well known. Has anybody heard of that? The Toronto Blessing. You heard that? Okay. Uh, you, you'll probably hear as we go through the three. The last one you'll probably be the most familiar with. Interestingly enough, Brown, the Brownsville Revival. Anybody heard of the Brownsville Revival? You have. Okay. Uh, we lived less than a mile from that church in Pensacola. And I did not know. Like when I first moved there, people asked me about it. Oh, you're a Christian. Have you gone to the Brownsville Revival? I had no idea what that was. Um, <laughs> it was world. Uh, it, was, it was known around the world. Um, they said somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.1 million people came to visit that church there. It's a smaller church. church uh, smaller, smallish. 2,000 people, 2,000 members. Um, and what was called the Brownsville Revival, that came directly, a, a tributary from that river of the Toronto Blessing. The Toronto Blessing is where, uh, it didn't start, but have you heard of like being slain in the spirit? That, that it really became well-known because of what was going on there. Um, so I, it's hard to track down where that started, but it definitely gained popularity there. Also, so, so the, there's three streams flowing into the NAR, the Toronto Blessing, under that, Brownsville, Revival in the 90s into the early 2000s, and then the Lakeland Revival. Anybody uh, heard of the Lakeland Revival? That was, uh, That's him, yeah. 
So for all of you uh, freedom-loving, Florida-worshipping people, those two major crazy uh, revivals came out of Florida. But um, I was actually uh, already converted when the Lakeland Revival took place. The other stuff was all before I was a believer. And so I remember in real time when the Lakeland Revival was going on. And to me, it was just so hard to understand when I would hear the people that were going, and you hear me in interviews and stuff, they, they would talk like believers. I mean, they were not ex- explicitly theological, but they would speak of uh, an affection for Christ. And, and then they would go to see this man who was just a, a sideshow. He was a circus show. Uh, kick people that had stomach cancer to heal them and all manner of things. And it wasn't but a couple of years before he was... Uh, there was you know gross sexual immorality that came to the service. He was fired for a month or a year and restored, of course. Um, but I only bring that up to, to show you the sort of fruit, right? You will know them by their fruit. This is the sort of fruit that's not an exception. This is regularly surrounding um, what we call the NAR. So Toronto Blessing, the two rivers under that, and then the next major river in that is IHOP. Have you guys heard of IHOP? Not the restaurant. In fact, I think the restaurant sued him. Yeah, they did. I believe so, yeah, yeah. Um, the restaurant sued The International House of Prayer. Yes, yes. Uh, anybody know who's, who's leading that, who led that? Mike Bickle, very good. So now you, I assume more people have heard of Mike Bickle. Probably not the Toronto Blessing. I remember the name, knew very little about it before this. I remember Mike Bickle. I remember IHOP. In fact, in Pensacola also, there was a place called P-Hop. Not a real original name, but it was <laughs> the same sort of uh, interesting, to be generous, strangeness. Um, there, of course, they, they share a similarity um, in their doctrines. We'll get into some of the teachings here in a moment. I was trying to get you the background. But um, their, their big thing is continual nonstop prayer, which is not, not a bad thing, but um, it wouldn't be what we would see as a real biblical, Christ-centered prayer, but uh, a huge emphasis on emotionalism. Uh, their prayer, their nonstop prayer meeting is usually accompanying with very talented musicians, you know, playing very emotive music, um, very, that, you'll probably hear it a lot in modern uh, worship music, that atmospheric sound, and uh, they were really on the forefront of, of this, and that was one of the things I want you to keep in mind as we get further into this, is that uh, everybody that is regularly in a you know a confessional church would recognize these teachings as being aberrant, even if you could, immediately, could not immediately say why it is, you would just recognize it as being aberrant. But its influence um, is much further reaching than its uh, doctrine, if you will, than its you know, stated belief. So in other words, you might not be believing like this, but you might have some of it trickle in more than you would think. <laughs> so um, the Inter- International House of Prayer, Mike Bickle, uh, I think I mentioned he's in Kansas. And to this day, I believe they have a live stream. They've not stopped praying. That's um, their claim to fame there with all the other uh, shared doctrines, and their, uh, these three streams, their leaders, their pastors, their influencers, they all do the same circuit. They do the same events. They speak at each other's churches. They help prop each other up. And then the third would be Bethel. And so raise your hand if you heard of Bethel. Long, okay, so 
Um, there was a time where there was, I think, in fact, I think there was a time where the Toronto Blessing was the big boy, and then IHOP became the most notable. Bethel was already there, but they have kind of taken um, the helm there. Uh, Bill Johnson, uh, very well known in Redding, California, so we own that one. Uh, by the early 2000s, Bethel had become the largest and most influential church in the movement. Uh, Bill Johnson now taking the role of a pseudo-pope. Uh, Bethel's influence grew out of its school, the Bethel School for Supernatural Ministry, and it's what? Music. And it's music. It's most well-known group being Jesus Culture. Um, I didn't do any in-depth research, but as I uh, looked around Spotify, I could only find one group that had more plays, Christian group, Christian group, <laughs> than Bethel, than Jesus Culture, I'm sorry. Uh, you know who that is? Hillsong. The only one bigger than Jesus Culture, which is just one of the groups that have come out of, um, of Bethel. So Bethel's reach into uh, more conservative theological churches has come largely through its music and even churches that would reject Jesus' culture um, because of the baggage of the theology that comes with even a song that might not have any you know, issues in this one specific song. They're, um, as, as artists do, our artists imitate, and they become so big that a lot of their styles have been adopted um, by more um, theologically acute musicians, and sometimes um, without even realizing, right? You're influenced by what's popular. So I've noticed that the sounds that kind of all came out of Hillsong, they were really probably the most instrumental, but uh, Jesus Culture, a lot of the language too, um, uh, fire falling down, help me, what else? Water, all the time, yeah, water. Yes, amorous phrasing, yeah. Has heard the term amorous phrasing? Uh, exactly, yeah. Jesus is my boyfriend type language. It just feels, it just feels yucky when you hear it. Like it's just automatic, you know. Sloppy wet kiss. Uh, it was so bad they had to change it for some markets that wouldn't play. It. Some Christian stations wouldn't play it with that. Crowder? Is it Crowder? Okay, so it wasn't an original lyric. Okay. Yeah, and speaking of Jesus Culture, so I'm not familiar with them, uh, their music at all. Um, but I looked up top five songs on Spotify, and one of them was Break Every Chain. You guys heard that song before, Break Every Chain? So you know a Jesus Culture song. Even more than that, um, when we were at a church in Pensacola, uh, Southern Baptist Church, their, their music director, Dr. Leo Day, very, very talented man, um, he directs music now at First Baptist of Dallas, huge church in Dallas. Uh, Jeffers, right? What's his name? What's his first name? I can't remember. Yes. So you'll see him on, on CNN. You'll see him on Fox News. He does a pretty good job. Um, Dr. Day is the music director of First Baptist there. And I've heard him sing Break Every Chain there in their, their service. And so um, my point is just to point out the, the tentacles of the influence of this church, Bethel, 
is very far-reaching across denominational lines into churches that would never give a platform for their teachers, but will sing their songs. And again, there, there's a category there of songs you have to wrestle over. Like There can be nothing wrong theological with the song, but you, it's when you don't realize you're importing some of those other things, some of the language, some of the phrasing. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's hypnosis, yeah, essentially, yeah. It's not like the hypnosis from the cartoons with the watch and all that. It does, it, it be, it's psychosis. There, there is a way, right? Our, our, our emotions are to respond to our intellect, what we set our mind on, our emotions follow. Um, but there's a way to manipulate that or to hijack it. Movies can do that quite well and ca- tell us how to feel without telling us why to feel that way, right? It just musters up the lights smoke machines, the chanting, and all of this, and you, Jesus, you say it over and over and over, but it's, it's nebulous. I mean, the name of Christ, no doubt, it's, it's real, but it's not connected to anything. It's not saying anything about him. It's just, it's hypnosis, and then your, your emotions begin to move, and people around you start crying, and it's very manipulative. It's extremely emotions-based, uh, okay? Uh, we probably, um, in the Reformed Baptist circles, probably rightly criticize that we are a little more egg-headed than emotional, right? There should be a balance there. Uh, we should definitely strive to have clear doctrine and understanding, and our emotions should be uh, invived by that. So um, not saying that we don't have areas to look at internally, but definitely um, that is intele- uh, there's emotion detached or divorced from any sort of intellectual or theological um, meditation. So beliefs, <clears throat> they believe in what is called the five-fold ministry, and that's why I picked the passage I read earlier. Um, five-fold ministry, um, five offices. Can you think of any of them? Apostle, prophet. Um, yeah, pastor. Evangelist, and one more. Teacher, very good, very good. So, like with all other errors, what's the problem here? There's some truth in this, isn't there? Okay, so they, it's not a five-fold ministry that they, looking back, see that these offices existed. It's that they believe that that is still active now. In fact, when I mentioned earlier, C. Peter Wagner said that the 90s was like the second era of the apostles, right? Um, so, apostles. Do we have apostles now? No, we don't have apostles now. What about prophets? It's a little trickier. We don't have the office of prophet by any means. Nobody gets private revelation from God anymore. He's spoken in his word. It's finished. But there can be a ministry. We don't use this language, and it's probably wise because of the baggage that comes with it. But you can, you can tell the truth. You can tell what God has said. And that can be, uh, I've heard it said like this, prophets could be uh, forth tellers or foretellers, right? So there's special office throughout the Old Testament uh, where special revelation was given and a few times in the New Testament, and they were foretelling. They were telling what was to come, right? Super rare, even in the scriptures. 
But then there was a lot of people forth telling. They were telling the truth. So in a way, you could say when our elders are faithfully exegeting the word from the pulpit, they are prophesying, but we don't use that language because of all of the wrong ideas that come with it. But they are telling the truth. They're telling God's truth. Um, So I only uh, point that out to say this is where things get difficult sometimes in conversations because they say you don't believe in prophesying and preaching the truth. Well, yeah, but I'm not going to use the word because you're going to think something different. So um, they would see the continuation of the office of prophet, that these are people that are receiving private revelation from God. And now it's incumbent upon them, which it would be if that was true, to go and now share that with the body of Christ, right? This private revelation they've gotten from God. Evangelist. So we see that as a ministry, right? But we don't have a special, they would have a special office of an evangelist. Um, Pastors, of course, and teachers, no deacons. And I read that, that passage to you at the beginning, but I find it, Extremely interesting, because this is where they don't, read, they don't go with the whole passage. I included the whole passage. This is what they have you on, their, on some of the websites uh, for the NAR that are very pro-NAR. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so that's where they stop. <laughs> but the very next uh, part of that verse, not even the next verse, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. It's like if they just read, just continued reading, they would, it should cause them to stand up and take notice that they're doing some strange things. But I just find that so interesting that they would take what is uh, a self-refuting passage of Scripture and just cut it off a little bit early. Any questions about that so far? Very good. Comments? Josh seems kind of well acquainted with some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think so. I think they speak it typically. Um, I don't think they write it down. So I actually had uh, a co-worker who was... Uh, I do believe was a believer. Um, at least he had the fruits in his life were consistent with that of a believer. And so I got to have some more, yeah, I could ask harder questions. Since I was, we got along while he's a coworker, and um, he told me many times that any word from the Lord, he wasn't part of the NAR, but he was very charismatic. He was a continuist, and he thought he had private revelation. He had been a pastor before working uh, where I worked with him. Um, Anything that the Lord told him would always agree with Scripture. And if it didn't, that it's not from the Lord. And so then I asked him, so what is the need for it then, right? Um, that, that to me is a, is a, uh, it's a you, you view Scripture as insufficient. If, if you need additional information that's already in the Scriptures, then the Scriptures aren't sufficient in themselves, but they claim to be. So we kind of would go around and round with that. And he's saying, well, I don't understand the problem if all of my revelations have agreed with Scripture. What's the danger? I said, well, you're not trusting in God's Word, right? <laughs> and, so, and that's how he would tell if it was from God. If it disagreed with Scripture, then it was not from God. So it's, it's, yes, yeah. You read it, stop, and you listen. Mm-hmm. 
And um, we got along well, and so I could poke at him a little bit, but I did tell him one day that um, I had to apologize because uh, God had given me a private word, and he looked at me with suspicion because he knew it was coming. And I said, God told me now he only speaks through his word. Is that, is that from God? And he said, ha, uh-huh. ha. But... Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said that. They, they look for that 20%. Mm-hmm. That's what he said about himself. And so uh, I know a lot because Leslie and I were really influenced by this whole movement. We went to a discipleship school from the Rock Church um, that just you know, kind of subtly taught these things. And so I started looking a lot into it. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's not really organized at all. But mm-hmm. it's something that um, they all kind of have this. Yeah, they. So I, there's a video of Bickle saying that himself, and I, I've heard that. I've seen that video, and he also addressed that too. And I can't remember how he addressed it, but that was addressed. And he had the people that were listening kind of chuckling as he mentioned these. These are not. Um, they're not dumb men, and so you don't. You don't. You don't build something so financially successful and stay in power of it without being. Shrewd, so they have answers um, to these things. But yeah, that would—that's the first thing you think of, right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> if you if you have a hundred prophecies and one's wrong, then in the Old Testament you're declared not from God, stoned, and they're eighty percent. They're twenty percent positive. Yeah. Michael Brown is, and he was at Brownsville, Michael Brown was, yeah, yeah. He's the only, um, that I know of, so don't, don't misunderstand me, that I know of, he's the only guy that's well into that movement that actually speaks like a believer. I don't know any other, do you know, hey, would you agree that he sounds like a brother in Christ? But like, but, but he'll, he'll defend Benny Hinn and throw John MacArthur under the bus, so strange that he runs with these guys that are clearly false teachers. Yeah. Anyway, interesting. Um, lost my place here. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that it's just going to get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Without putting God 
<laughs> when, I, when, when I bought my Bible, it actually came in a box. <laughs> God puts himself in the box, to be honest. He does. He gives himself parameters, right? There's things he says, he cannot lie. That's him drawing a line, saying, this is what I am, this is what I'm not. So... So, Josh made a good point that they, they, there's a distinction in it. So, they would see that, that these prophecies are more like, almost like when people would speak in tongues in, in the first century to edify the body. But these are the prophecies they're given. But they do, they go, they do make predictions, too. So, you, you'll, you'll be frustrated if you're looking for an internal consistency, because there's really not. About Trump? Yeah. You know, this is, you know, election will be overturned. And, yeah. You know, Trump will come back and progress all the QAnon. All this was a prophecy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For a while, it was like, wow, you know, let's see what happens. It was kind of like, yeah. Hey, these prophets are saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but their congregations have itchy ears and they're still giving their money and they're still teaching. Prophets are talking about, like, super. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I understand. The boat? The soothsaying. Signs and wonders. Yeah, yeah confirm, yeah. verify. Good. All right, so I'm going to move us along here. Um, so that they believe in the fivefold uh, ministry. These are the five offices that are going to fulfill what they see the church to do, and that is uh, they call uh, they teach what is called a seven mountain mandate, and they do that from Revelations, uh, where I'll read it to you.
Give me just a moment. I have some technical difficulties here. I, uh, <laughs> and the Lord is silent. Does somebody want to read for me since it will not pull up? Uh, Revelation chapter 17, verse 9. With a loud, somebody with a loud voice. 17 9. I was going to read the preceding verse. I thought there was more in verse 9. I was going to read the first eight verses and have somebody read 9. So it, it, it talks about when, when the, the whore of Babylon comes up and the, her power is, uh, is displayed before everybody, that the, the, her influence is over these nine mountaintops, right? And so they see, the NAR, the churches that are in that movement, see their mandate to take those seven hills, and they see their mandate to take those seven hills so that Christ can return. So if you want to know what the church is about, why they have these five, the five offices, what they're about, what's their work about, they're about taking the seven mountains to, so that Christ may return, okay? Family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. So you mentioned the whole prophesying about the president, uh, Florin, and all that. That's one of their mountains is government. So whenever they take, when, and when I say they, I mean they, not us. When they take, when, when these um, hyper-charismatic churches take these seven mountains for Jesus, then Jesus will return. That kind of sounds a little bit in a fuzzy way, like something else, does it, doesn't it? Another eschatology. Post-mill does, doesn't it? And so it's interesting because I, as I was listening through some videos this past week, I saw MacArthur and uh, Lawson discussing some of this. And they denounced that as just being post-mill and clearly wrong because things will get worse and worse and worse before Christ returns. And I thought, well, that's not agreed upon either. So um, it's not a post-mill uh, eschatology, although it resembles, it is very different, okay, than our post-mill brothers would see. But there is this idea that we activate Christ's return in their, in their thinking, in their teaching, that they do something and then Christ returns, okay? Not that we're just faithful in our station and where we were born and God's sovereignty. He's put, it, put us somewhere, a certain time, a certain place, and there's work to do and we just need to do it faithfully, knowing that Christ could return at any time. Not that we must do this so God can and will return. Uh, the big push and distinction of the NAR is that the fivefold ministry of the church will usher in the return of Jesus Christ uh, by gaining control of these seven mountains. Interestingly enough, this has some fuzzy similarities to the popular teaching right now in the reform circles called postmillennialism. Um, I come from a very, very different stream. Uh, growing up, a fundamentalist that would reject, well, not family, but anything, uh, any sort of Christian involvement in government, business, Entertainment, media, or even secular education, if you will, outside of private Christian schools, which shows you there can be ditches on either sides, right? You can say we are isolationists or we are just totally pragmatic, as opposed to saying, understanding the theology of vocation. We can serve God, full time ministry, wherever God has us, if you will. Any questions about that? Nothing at all. Any comments? The seven mountains that they need to take, family, religion, education, 
media, entertainment, business, and government. And of course, um, if, if you had to pick one that they've really excelled in, it'd be some le- uh, somewhere in between media and entertainment when it came to their music. They have found great success in their music, music ministry, if you call it that. Yeah, very, they're extremely talented, no doubt. Extremely talented. Very, in fact, uh, I'll close with one quick um, story, personal story, uh, firsthand personal story. Um, there was a super extreme um, charismatic church in Pensacola. We knew somebody that went there, so we went to check it out one time. They, they used to go there, okay? Um, believer now, uh, was not at the time. Grew up in that church. I mean, super charismatic. I don't know how to, to emphasize um, people rolling around on stage, speaking in tongues and healing and all this stuff. And so they told me, they, before they were a believer, that growing up in this church... The the doctor pastor would come around, and he would touch people, and they prophesy in tongues. Okay, and she was already growing a little suspicious about how true this was, but she still believed that that she believed it was true, but she was suspicious of people, like they were lying. So the guy comes over to her one day during a service, and the services didn't look like a service here. And the one we went to is just different. <laughs> it's uh, what Paul was talking about in First Corinthians thirteen, or First Corinthians, not chapter thirteen. First Corinthians, the chaos of the service. And um, she wouldn't speak in tongues because she, she didn't want to fake it. And so she said that he, he touched her forehead, and she started speaking in tongues. And she said, um, I couldn't control it. She said, it was spiritual, but it wasn't godly. She said, I felt dark. It felt scary. And she said, for about two hours afterwards, she couldn't speak normally. Now, and I believe her. Um, that's so, so my point is this. There in some of these so-called churches, there is absolutely spiritual activity, um, but there's not godly activity. There are uh, people through hip, like the hypnotic chanting and all that that open themselves up to all manner of strange things in the name of Christ. Um, if you've watched any of the Strange Fire conference that MacArthur did a few years back, there's tons of creepy videos that they highlight in that conference of it's just very strange things done in the name of Christianity that could not be more in contradiction to Christianity, and that's supposed to be how they usher in the return of Christ. So like everything else, it starts a little, a little aberrant, and you get some years out, and you're in a, a false religion, essentially. <laughs> if, if, if they're wanting you to speak in tongues when they do it, yes, don't let them. <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead, Annie. Mm-hmm. She freaked her out really bad for days, and she couldn't. She couldn't speak right afterwards for like two hours. She just she couldn't talk. Yeah, well, <laughs> anything, if you just read a little bit further, you're like, well, I don't think that means what they say it means. Uh, that's like a theme through all of their teaching. Yeah, yeah. Proof texting will get you in trouble when it's out of, out of context, you know. 
That's a really big question, and I, I think it's hard to give a short answer, but I can try to briefly say, um, this is my conclusion. This, this is my conclusion. It's mine, so I'm not saying think this. I'm saying it's my conclusion. Um, I've had to examine things like um, Come Thou Found, the author, was reportedly apostate at his death, and so, like, there, so there's that. There, we've had, it's not a new problem. It's been around a long time. I, I do see a distinction uh, between a person that had sincere lyrics, sincerely believed it, and their faith was questionable. We don't know. Um, but that man was trying to produce God-honoring music and had a life at the time that was consistent, and as a person had failings. I see that radically different than a current church ministry that's trying to bring people in right now and teach them, that's using the hooks of their very, very talented musicians to bring them in. So um, the, those people that have had you know, shaky faith in the past that are passed on, all we have is their music, but we have these other ministries right now, and they're recruiting and they're pulling people into their schools. So I see that as a distinct danger. Um, I think the scriptures in your conscience guide you. Um, I do probably have stronger reservations about some of those songs, and they sound good. I mean, we listened to Hillsong early after I conversed. They're good. Darling Checks, a great singer, great songwriter. Musicians are great. Um, we, were, <laughs> we were in a funny church, so their, their Christian music was really boring. And so I'm like, hey, these guys can sing, they can play. So I gravitated towards some of that, but then I started having just reservations. But no, not everybody shares them, that's fine. But it's the, um, I see it as being a, a draw card for something worse, and so that kind of scares me a bit. So um, I, I don't know if there's an answer. That, that's how I've kind of thought through that. Yeah, yeah. So there was a time where the only good choral arrangements we could find of hymns were done like by Mormon churches, Tabernacle Choir, and so it would frustrate me. But we'd listen to some because I was like, "Well, those aren't your songs; those are our songs. You're singing our songs." Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a distinct danger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, being cautious is always better. Yeah, but that's a good point. I don't know if you could hear that. She's saying the idea that new believers come in and the music can be a draw card when they're not, you know, sound in doctrine yet. And I do think that's intentional. I really do. Uh, with the churches that put it out, that's their number one uh, advertisement. That's how they get the word out: is their music. <laughs> I didn't bring that up at all. <laughs> I just didn't. I mean, I w- it wasn't intentional. You want to fill us in? Yeah. So they, they believe... <laughs> I'll wrap it up with this and I'll pray. 
grave sucking. So um, you can fill me in. If I just got a, a real surface level understanding, but there are what probably uh, Christians we would admire in 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 the church age that uh, they will go to like at night too in the grave in the graveyard. And they will lay on their grave. They will pray, and they call it grave soaking because they're trying to get the Holy Spirit uh, uh, success. From from that, you have something to add to that? That was a dead boy. He just died. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it's all based on this idea that we can manipulate a scenario to make something happen, right? It's it's, it's strange. It is, and and I said that would be the last thing, but the last thing is this. <laughs> um, I do find it very interesting that one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit, besides the conviction of sin, is to point to Christ, right? To point to Christ, and the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures never makes much of Himself. But they are all about magnifying the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a way to acknowledge the third person, the Trinity, no doubt. But it's like a misordering of things. You would think that the Holy Spirit is the Father in the way that they speak about it. So is it the Kunalingi? Who is it? Kundalini. Kundalini. Um, it's an Eastern. I don't know much about it. Um, spirit, demon, um, that is prevalent in the hyper charismatic churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't it, they don't seem real Eastern in their orthopraxy, their practice. But yeah, the, some of those beliefs absolutely are there, and mysticism. I know of, uh, is it Russia? Yeah. I don't remember his name. They, came, they went to Oregon. Yeah. That's crazy. He was a yogi kicked out of India and he got real popular with the stars and like destroyed a town. Fire tunnel. Yeah, it, absolutely. It looks like just bare paganism and yeah, like animalistic and. There's, they're not even using language. They're making sounds and rolling around. It's crazy. You guys want to know more? There's a, there's a short um, documentary, I guess you can say, of uh, Todd Creel. It's on Rachel TV. It's called Drunk in the Spirit. And it's just it's a really that uh, Holy Ghost bartender, what's his name? What's his name? No, no, the Holy Ghost bartender guy. He was one of the Drunk in the Spirit guys. What's, he was a charismatic guy. Is it, it might be a Todd something, too. Yeah. 
There's a lot of bad guys out there. My default answer in every single one of those is Christ, the real Christ. Yeah, it's if you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead. So I think we have brothers and sisters in the movement, but I also said I think the Lord pulls his children out. They don't, they don't remain there. Let's pray. Oh, go ahead. Why do they always have weird names? Oh, okay. I don't. I've met a lot of people like that there, though, so they blend together. Most interesting people I meet in front of there. You guys are welcome to stay around in fellowship as long as you would like. I'm going to close this in prayer now. Our Lord and our God, Father, we thank you for the truth. Even the testimony of my sister, Father, that in uh, sitting in the midst of false teaching, uh, your spirit, Father, given to your children, uh, illuminates the truth of your word. May we hide it in our heart, Father, knowing that that's what we have. We have your spirit. We have your word. We have Christ, Father. These are the weapons you've given us to fight in this. Um, Lord, the question is asked, how do we approach people that are in this sort of teaching? And, um, Father, I pray that you would give us the ability just to recall your word, uh, to show, uh, rather than arguing over semantics or offending uh, over smaller issues, just to talk about Christ from the Scripture, that it would be made evident and plain, uh, Father. I pray that through these weeks that we've been going over all these things, that we hold more tightly to Christ. Thank you for bringing us through this, Father, and uh, I pray that you're glorified and honored even more in our hearts and minds as we've looked into the truth and compared it uh, with the lies that are around, Father, that you've pulled us out of. We thank you for all this in Christ's name. Amen.